Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of Vice. It's Wednesday, December 19th. I'm Sophie Casas. Today, we're talking about our obsession with self-care and the dark truths behind it. If you feel tired, drink some green juice. If you're stressed, light a scented candle. The self-care industry promises cures for all of your ailments. You just need to buy the products. But while self-care can be very necessary in our increasingly stressful world, Tonic reporter Shayla Love argues that when it stands in as a replacement for comprehensive mental health care, we've got a problem. It's estimated that in 2016, 275 million people worldwide experienced an anxiety disorder, and 268 million experienced depression. When these are the kinds of stats we're dealing with, it's important to take a critical look at why self-care products are so popular today, and ask what this growing trend reveals about the flaws in mental health care. So today, I sat down with Shayla Love to learn more. So Shayla, you wrote an article about the emerging consumer trend of self-care products like salt lamps and personalized vitamins and Gwyneth Paltrow's brand Goop. And you explain that this commodification of self-care and kind of our obsession with it says a lot about the times that we're living in and specifically about our lack of access to good mental health care. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, So I think anybody who is on Instagram or on social media or just kind of out in the world today has seen the rise of these products or fitness classes, sometimes questionable health products like Goop, that are promising to make your life a lot better in some way. And whether that's a juice cleanse or a yoga sculpt class or crystals, these are all things that I've just seen advertised to me and I see my friends doing them. And while I don't think they're inherently bad, I was curious as to how these products were able to be so popular so fast. Um, And the one thing that I could think of was that I know that all of my friends would love to be in therapy, and we're a generation that has rising anxiety and depression issues, but therapy can be so hard to get. And so what do you do when you don't have access to those things? You need to look for alternatives. And so in this piece, I argue that one of the reasons that self-care or hashtag self-care as a concept is even able to be so popular is that we don't have access to the proper kinds of health care that we need. We're looking for these individualized modes of wellness because we no longer have society as a whole to support us in that realm. Yeah, I'm super familiar with this. I feel like I've been very susceptible to some of these trends. And I wouldn't say that I'm an unaware consumer. Like I know that some of the products that I've indulged in are kind of exploiting 
a need for certain kinds of health care or mental health care or even like exploiting women's insecurities. I'm aware of that. But still, these products are so aestheticized and they're so well marketed that, you know, I, f- I can see myself falling into this trap a lot and like everyone around me, too. And you you put some history to it. You explained that when Medicaid was first established in the 60s, mental health care was largely excluded from coverage. And then that changed in the 90s with some major policy shifts. But still today, so many people go undiagnosed and untreated and just don't have access to affordable mental health care. So what are the barriers today that are preventing people from getting the care that they need? Yeah, so we have a big problem of not treating mental health and physical health the same ways. And there's been a lot of progress. And I think a lot of researchers and scientists and psychologists thought that the more we uncovered about the physical nature of mental illness, the greater we would be able to have coverage for mental health care. But the truth is that it's still not perfect. Um, So in 1996, Congress passed the Mental Health Parity Act, which was supposed to ensure that mental health coverage was treated the same as physical ailments. But as anybody who's tried to get therapy covered by their insurance knows, this is definitely not perfect. Um, There are really recent and studies that say that more than half of people with a mental illness don't receive any treatment and finances are one of the one of the biggest reasons. A study from 2010 found that only 55% of psychiatrists accept health insurance compared with 89% of other doctors. And if you're on Medicaid or you know just you can't afford private health insurance, that's even worse. Only four out of 10 psychiatrists accept Medicaid. The only lower rate for Medicaid acceptance is for dermatologists. So that's just unacceptable because the brain is a part of your body and we should be treating it as such. It's the part of your body that controls what the rest of your body does. The fact that we don't, for some reason see mental health as something that needs to be covered 100% without deductibles, without co-pays, is leading people to feel desperate for something that they need to do themselves. And then when you enter these advertising campaigns that are so pretty and and seem to say that you can be empowered just on your own without the support system to get the help you need, it's not a surprise that we would be so susceptible to that. And I think that self-care and even self-care products could have a place in mental health care as a package. But having access to a therapist and having support from your boss or from your friends or from just the society that we live in, you can't replace that just with a product. The product needs to be a very small, if not important, but still small piece of the overall care. Right. And and something that you talked about in your article is this idea that sort of centering self-care as a solution to more serious mental health issues makes people feel like the burden of whatever condition they're dealing with should be all on themselves. And if, you know, they're not feeling better, that that is something that they should be able to solve maybe by buying other products or just doing something, you know, going to yoga more, eating healthier. And I think you make an important distinction in your piece about there is a role for self-care, but it's also a spectrum. And this craze, this obsession, this trend is highlighting some flaws, some major flaws in access to affordable and quality mental health care. So I wanted to talk about some of the rhetoric that's around self-care right now. It's very individualistic. And it does not seem like a coincidence that this is 
sort of rising in popularity alongside pretty major threats to public health care. Can you talk about how you see those two things as related? Absolutely. Um, one great expert that I spoke to about this topic is named Carl Sederstrom, and he's an associate professor at Stockholm University. And we talked about how there's this big reflection of the society in which we live, which is really fragmented right now, uh, which is that we're struggling with how to take care of each other, both politically and personally. What services should come from the government and what should come from the individual? These are big questions in politics right now and in government. And you know, there's a really big incentive for those at the top to outsource public health care to individual companies. And that would put it on individuals to sort of purchase their own health in a way that, you know, I just think for people with more serious mental health problems, we know that that's not going to be effective. People with bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, even severe anxiety, all these things, they're already in a vulnerable place and they can't self-care their way out of it. And We're also ignoring the fact that there are these huge systemic issues that start from birth that can also influence the outcome of mental health care, what people have access to, what problems they have. So I think that you're right when we say, you know, it's not just about you. You are as healthy as your community is. And even if I self-cared myself and took bubble baths and got face masks, for example, I have OCD and it still requires my boss to recognize specific needs that I have or for me to be able to leave work and go to therapy once a week and have a copay that's manageable. So all the products and things are really nice, but systemic support is what's really going to help people when they have a mental health issue. And Dr. Cedarstrom gave me this example of Paul Ryan suggested once that poor people should see a life coach as a requirement to receive federal aid. And this, again, is this idea that You know, it's not about your environment or institutional shortcomings. It's really up to you. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and that's the way you're going to get mental health care taken care of. You would never say that to somebody who has diabetes or who has cancer, right? Like, this really comes down to an issue of treating mental health differently than physical health, when at the end of the day, that they they are the same thing. They're, They're both health. You also pointed out a kind of sad or frustrating irony here that is something I've felt a lot. It seems like when you go into these stores that, you know, sell natural beauty products and self-care products, they're all targeted at women. And I think that this points to something greater, more structural, which is like women and people of color and LGBTQ folks historically have been denied the health care they deserve and have in turn, like had to take care of themselves and had to sort of develop methods of self-care. And I think when looking through that historical lens, you know, that really makes sense. And and that kind of self-care is something to be celebrated as resilience. But what you're saying is like the problem occurs when it becomes commercialized, when it becomes these big industries making tons of money and sort of tricking you in some way into buying products that maybe aren't actually going to help you. Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic, who these companies are targeting as consumers and kind of the history that ties into that? Absolutely. I think that I think it's complicated because, like you said, the history of self-care comes as a reaction to institutional shortcomings. Audrey Lord has a very famous quote that's caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. And I definitely don't want to say that the things that marginalized communities do for themselves 
are trivial or not important. But I think that you're right that when these things are commodified and when they become really expensive and cost lots of money, then suddenly you're just creating this new barrier that people can't break through unless they're of the right class or socioeconomic privilege. And then the people who you know, again, this is a hypothetical person, a, a person who can feel better by just buying a product might look at other people who for whom that's not enough and think, well, I can do this. Why can't they just do this to feel better when there's so many other barriers like money or severity of mental health issues or environment that they come from, so many other things that could play into it. So I wrote this article not because I hate self-care, but because I want to preserve the importance of what I think it is. I don't like to see it taken as something and turned into just something expensive you buy from Gwyneth Paltrow when it is something that's so important to the mental health care package and it should be accessible for everybody. The other thing I'll say is that by commodifying self-care and turning it into something expensive or something that we have to post on social media, you're also kind of ripping away these nice actions that we should have access to every single day without having to justify them. Something like taking a walk at work or not looking at your phone in the morning while you drink your coffee. These things that are so simple that are now being hashtagged as self-care, they shouldn't be justified in that way. They should just be parts of everyday life. And the second that we start having to have every single activity be productive and be marketed that way, then we're also losing something really precious. Yeah, I think that that's really well put. I'm curious what the response to this story has been and if you've got any pushback or um, if people are really liking it. How have people reacted? Essentially, when you write anything, there's a little bit of pushback. And yet for this piece, I've received only positive responses so far. And I think that speaks to a couple of things. One, I think it speaks to the fact that this movement is really taking over as far as like advertising and marketing and companies right now go. I think this is the trend to be marketing things in this way. But also I think that everybody's had the experience of self-care or products of self-care not being enough and still feeling at the end of the day that when they bought something, there still wasn't something quite right or they still weren't truly able to relax or their depression or anxiety didn't go away as much as they wanted it to. I think everybody can relate to that experience, including myself, right? I've tried lots and lots and lots of hashtag self-care things to deal with anxiety and ultimately the thing that worked was a combination of those self-care things Plus being in therapy for five or six years and creating a supportive environment around me where people can help me when I need it. Um, so I think that that really resonates with people that self-care isn't enough and, and what can we do to create an environment in which we all are getting the care that we need. This story appears in Vice Magazine's Burnout and Escapism Issue. Make sure to grab a hard copy or you can read the full article at vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And tune in again on Friday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.